Good evening. Uh, so good to be back with you again. Uh, my name is Lee, for those who didn't catch me last time. Uh, we're go diving back into um, Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk. Um, we started last week looking at chapter 1, and this week we're diving into chapter 2. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, please do open that up. Uh, continuing in this series, looking at uh, moving from a place of wrestling with God to rejoicing in God. And this week we're going to look at what it looks like to wait on God. Um, so if you have your Bible, then please do open that up. And we all know the experience, right, of having to wait for something that we know is eventually going to happen, but we just don't know when. And the circumstances as we wait for it are difficult. Uh, for myself and my wife, we just had a little baby boy back at the beginning of May. And we've been waiting for quite a while to be able to show him to his grandparents, for them to be able to hold him. And we know that that's going to happen at some point in the future. We just don't know when. And it's difficult. It's difficult for us. It's difficult for them. And we've all experienced that in this season, haven't we? The difficulty of not having those relational contacts that we had before. And the Christian life in general is like that. We are waiting between the time when Jesus has been and gone and for the time when he will return. What theologians call, we live in the already and the not yet, the time between his first coming and his second coming, that time of tension where we experience to some extent the the benefits of what he has done, but we still fully await what will happen in the future. So the question is, what do we do while we wait? How do we manage our expectations, our hopes and our fears? How do we deal with the ongoing pain and frustration and wrestling and questioning that we still experience? Last time we left Habakkuk at the end of chapter one, or just at the beginning of chapter two, he was standing in a high place waiting to hear back from God waiting for an answer that suited him. He wanted a definitive timeline and an answer that made sense to him. But God has already shown Habakkuk that he is doing something and that Habakkuk could trust him. Yet that still didn't quite satisfy Habakkuk. This is often the case for us, isn't it? We, we know God has made his promises. We know he has made commitments to us. We believe in what lies ahead for us and enter sin and enter suffering and enter injustice an eternal home, eternal rest. But waiting for that is often so hard. The question is, what do we do while we wait? Well, what we're going to see here in Habakkuk chapter two is that God not only tells us what is going to happen in the future, he also shows us how we are to live in the present through the pain in the midst of perplexing and difficult circumstances. He's going to show us that although what what he has revealed to us might not always satisfy those two big questions of why and how long. It is sufficient to sustain us in the present until his promises are fully fulfilled in the future. So I'm just going to read the first four verses of chapter two, if you'd like to turn there with me. Habakkuk chapter two, verses one to four say this, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm given to this complaint. That's where we left Habakkuk last time. And this is now the Lord's reply, verse two. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Uh, let me just pray as we come to consider these things together. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity again to gather around your word, um, even in, these, uh, in this way. 
And we thank you that you're a God who does make promises, uh, that you're a God who has revealed yourself to us. And Father, we recognise that um, your son will one day return. So we ask that you would teach us now in this season how to live in that in-between time, how to wait well, how to keep trusting, how to keep moving, how to keep believing and how to keep living faithfully, Father. So we just pray that you would use this time in your word now to help us do that, to transform our hearts in a way that only you can, you can do, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the midst of wrestling with God, he calls me to firstly listen carefully to him. That's what verse 2 teaches us. Verse 2, the Lord answers Habakkuk's second complaint. He speaks and tells him to write it down, to make it plain. He basically says, listen up Habakkuk, are you still wrestling with me? Are you still asking why? Are you still struggling to wait? Listen up. You need to write what I'm about to say down. You need to write it down. Um, if you've seen the, the film that came out recently, 1917, um, you'll know that it tells the story of two young British soldiers who are given an urgent and important message to deliver to a British commanding officer who is about to launch an attack that will ultimately fail and result in the death of potentially 1,600 men. They had an urgent, important message that was written down and given to them and they needed to run with it and deliver it quickly so that men's lives could be saved. Why was the attack going ahead and the message necessary? Well, because the British commanding officer didn't have a full perspective of what was going on. Habakkuk here is being commanded to listen to and write down such a message, a message that is important, is urgent, it needs to be delivered fast. It is a message that will alter our perspective and save our lives. It has been recorded for you and me and still carries the same weight and the same urgency and the same relevance to us now as it did to Habakkuk then. For us, when, when life gets hard, when we can't make sense of what we are experiencing or what is going on around us, we need to listen carefully to what God has to say to us. So often we starve our, our hearts and, and our minds of a heavenly perspective when life gets hard. It's, it's especially been uh, relevant to us in this time that we allow the news and we allow social media to influence our perspective too much. So much to the extent that we become fearful or anxious when what we most need to hear is what God has to say. His message is urgent, it is important, and in a world of confusion, it is clear, it is plain, and it has been recorded for us here. And interesting that Habakkuk is told to write these things on tablets, which tells us that these words are to have a permanent presence in our lives. They are necessary for every generation. They bear significant weight. So a question for us is, do we allow God's voice to produce the loudest volume in our lives? Are you or am I, like Habakkuk, waiting eagerly and expectantly to hear what God has to say? I don't know about you, but so often in my life when I allow myself to be governed more by what I see and what I feel rather than what God says, I begin to lose perspective, I begin to lose hope, I forget the grace that God has shown me, the promises he has made to me, and burdens become heavier, temptation becomes stronger, and the future begins to seem more futile. And that's why every heart needs to dwell daily on what God has to say what God has revealed to us. Every home needs to be filled with it. Every church needs to proclaim it. Every generation needs to rediscover it and be renewed by it. So in the midst of wrestling with God, we need to listen carefully to what he has to say. 
And secondly, we need to wait confidently on him. God reveals himself to Habakkuk, asks him to record this revelation. And before we get to the core content of that revelation, God reassures Habakkuk. He reassures us that what he has to say is both trustworthy and it will be timely. If you look down at verse uh, three, it says, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So it's timely. God's saying that what I'm going to do has an appointed time. Okay, it's, it's in the diary, it's going to happen. It might seem to you that, and, and to me that it's taking too long, it might linger. That word linger, that idea that it might linger, but wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay, it won't be late. We think, think back to the question we encountered at the beginning of chapter one, that question of how long God is now giving us an answer. He doesn't give us a detailed timetable, but he does give us certainty that it will happen. I wonder what um, your definition of being late for something is. Maybe it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Uh, In many ways, that's quite culturally dependent, isn't it? But the Lord tells us here that what he is going to do will happen. It won't be late, but it won't be late according to his timing, not ours. That's what verses like 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 uh, remind us of. It says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God used the Babylonians to judge God's people, Judah. That's what was revealed to us in chapter one. And what we'll see in the moment is that the Babylonians themselves will also be judged by God. And that took around 50 years. It took around 50 years for God to judge the Babylonians, longer than Habakkuk would have liked, but it did happen. The call to wait for you and me can be hard, especially in the midst of a significant crisis But what God is trying to help Habakkuk and us do is to see these things from a heavenly perspective, from a heavenly timetable. He is trying to help us lift our heads and eyes up from crisis and instead fix them on the certainty of the future. So his his word and and what he's about to do is, is going to be timely according to his time. And it's also trustworthy. What God has to say and what he will do is not only timely, it's trustworthy. He tells us that in verse three. He says it will not prove false. The reason we can wait on him is because he is trustworthy. He is reliable. Numbers 23 verse 19 says this, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Okay, listen listen to this. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Those are rhetorical questions and the answer is no. When he speaks, he will act. What he promises, he will fulfill. So in the midst of frustration and wrestling, God calls us to listen carefully to him, to wait confidently on him, and thirdly, to live by faith in him. So we're to listen, we're to wait, and now we see in verses four to five how we are to live. And there's really two ways here that we can live, two ways that verses four to five present us that we can live. The first way is unbelief, to live a life of unbelief that leads to a life of unrighteousness. 
A life that ignores what God has to say. A life that doesn't think that what he has to say is trustworthy. A life that ends up conforming to the injustice, evil and sin in the world around us. If you look down at verses 4 and 5, you see that this unbelief and unrighteousness characterised by being puffed up, desires that are not upright, arrogance, never at rest, never satisfied, greedy. Unbelief ultimately means we remain under God's judgement and will be on the wrong side of his justice. But there is a second way to live. A second way of faith which leads to righteousness. If you look at verse 4, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So in contrast to those who are not upright, the righteous are humble, they're not puffed up, they're not arrogant, their desires are good and right, they're satisfied by God's truth and they find rest in it. But as I read those verses and I think about that, and as you hear those verses and think about that, the problem is though that that way of life is hard, isn't it? In fact, it's impossible. I don't know about you, but when it comes to waiting, my life is definitely not characterized by humility, by good and right desires, by being satisfied and trusting God's truth. Left to ourselves, we too end up being under God's judgment, just like the Babylonians. That's the end result of a life that never trusts God, that always lives for self. So the question is then, how can we live by faith? But we find the answer in the good news of Jesus. This verse in Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is quoted in the New Testament and reveals to us that living by faith for us now means putting our faith not in ourselves, but in God's Son, Jesus. Romans 1.17 says, For in it, that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, as it is written in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. We see here that the righteousness we need is found in, is revealed in Jesus. It becomes ours when our faith is placed in him. Jesus is the only perfectly righteous person who is able to save us from the judgment of God. A judgment that is foreshadowed by what happened to Israel and to the Babylonians and which will happen one day again in the future. So on that day we will either stand righteous because of our faith in Jesus or we, we will remain under the judgment of God. Living by faith means not trusting in what we see or even in ourselves. It means trusting what God says and ultimately trusting in God's Son's Jesus. And then true faith is marked by repentance from sin and finds rest in the grace of God. And true faith not only rests in the grace of God, but it gets to work. It comes from a place of resting in what Jesus has done, but it gets to work, it affects how we live. Notice what it says in verse four, it's called faithfulness which communicates that believing and trusting in Jesus isn't just a one-time thing. We need to keep believing. We need to keep trusting over a period of time. We need to remain faithful. We need to patiently endure. So yes, our faith and righteousness are in Jesus, but true faith manifests itself now in our lives and as we live in this world in a faithful life. The hope of the Christian is that when remaining faithful, when doing that is hard, we get to look to Jesus and see his faithfulness, his patience, his endurance and his righteousness, all of which is now ours in him. I once heard a helpful illustration for 
when faith is hard. Imagine you're on an airplane and that airplane hits turbulence. You are terrified. I know I do get terrified at turbulence. But the person beside you is sitting fast asleep. Okay, they don't even notice it. But for you, it seems to last for eternity. For them, they'll wake up and not even realize it's happened. Which one of you makes it to the destination? Well, the answer is both of you do. The reality is that what gets the plane to its destination is not how strong your faith is in the plane and in what's happening, but the strength of the plane and the skill of the pilot in charge. It's not about the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of the plane and the skill of the pilot in charge. You can't see out the front window, nor do you understand the complexities of how the plane works, but you put your trust in the pilot and in the plane. That's what gets you there. When it comes to faith in Jesus, what matters most is not the strength of our faith, but who we put our faith in, Jesus. And our faith can strengthen, okay? Weak faith isn't something that God desires of us. He, he desires us to grow and to strengthen our faith. He desires that we would have that confidence. And our faith strengthens as we better understand and trust his plans, better understand his promises, better understand and trust his purposes. And that happens as we encounter him and as we get to know him, which is what we're doing now. We get to see it in the life of Habakkuk and in the history of his people. And that reassures us and that strengthens our faith. The invitation in hard times is to trust Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So in the midst of wrestling with God, he calls me to listen carefully to him, to wait confidently on him, to live by faith in him, and fourthly, to expect justice from him. The fourth thing that God calls us to as we wrestle and wait is to expect justice from him. That's what really verse 6 to 19 shows we see five woes here, or, or five pronouncements of judgment on the Babylonians. But these pronouncements of judgment aren't reserved only for them. They apply to all people of all time who would be characterized by unbelief and unrighteousness. God pronounces judgment on them because of their extortion, exploitation, their greed, their theft, their murder, injustice, and finally their idolatry. Time doesn't permit us to, to go through these in detail, but it's safe to say that God sees all of the injustice, evil and sin that goes on in the world. He is not unaware and he is not indifferent. Verse 16, if you look down, it says, The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. That picture of cup is a picture that's carried throughout the Bible of God's wrath or God's judgment being poured out. And notice it says it is coming around. It will happen. God will bring justice. And then if you look at verse 14, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's this amazing picture that assures us that one day the earth will no longer be filled with violence and injustice. Darkness will give way to light. The empty glory of man will give way to the expansive glory of God and every knee will bow down before him. The presence of God will extinguish all injustice and iniquity. And God will rule and reign supreme. That will happen one day. We can be certain of that. The reassurance for Habakkuk and for us here is that the Babylonians, they will have their day in court. The justice and wrath of God will rightly fall on them. And in our world, we, where, we, where we daily see the kinds of things the Babylonians are guilty of, the injustice, the extortion, the murder, the bloodshed, the exploitation, 
all of these things will be dealt with fully and finally when Jesus returns. But expectation of justice from God should also cause all of us to pause for self-examination, for reflection, and where necessary for repentance, for where we have fallen short and are living like the Babylonians. And God's justice should also enable us to remain patient and to endure, to not retaliate, but instead to make room for the wrath of God. So Romans 12 um, says to us, it says, do not repay evil for evil. So if you see evil around you, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So Habakkuk has now heard and God speak. All that is left for him now is to bow down before him. Verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In contrast to the mute and dumb idols that the Babylonians worship in verses 18 to 19, the Lord has spoken. Verse 20 tells us that he is in his holy temple. Okay, he's, He shows us that he's in charge. He's in control. He's sitting on his throne. He's not absent. He's there. He's in control. He rules. All authority is his. Therefore, the time for complaints has come to an end. Question time really is over. As we will see, Habakkuk doesn't register any more complaints with God. What the Lord has said is now enough to satisfy his questions. And it's time now to bow down in trust. We've become accustomed over the last while to seeing lots of press conferences uh, where someone, usually the Prime Minister or the First Minister, make a public statement which is then followed by a lot of questions from journalists. And it's a good thing, it's a good thing and a right thing that they're asked questions because they are a publicly elected official uh, and it's good that they're respectfully held to account. But God is different. He's not a publicly elected official. He is the sovereign creator and ruler of the universe. He declares and we listen. Sometimes like Habakkuk in chapter one, which we saw, we can wrestle with what he says, but a time often comes when questions are no longer what is required. What is required is a quiet yet confident trust in a good and sovereign God. So where are we on our journey from wrestling with God to rejoicing in God? Well, we've come a long way from those two big questions in chapter one, questions of why and how long. And God has reassured us that he is at work, that his timing is perfect. He will deal with injustice. We've come a long way from the loud cries of chapter one to the reverent silence at the end of chapter two, to the question of how long the Lord has called us not to be concerned about timing, but instead to look to him on his throne and to trust him. In the midst of wrestling with God, he calls us to listen carefully to him, to wait confidently on him, live by faith in him, expect justice from him, and then ultimately to bow down before him. And as we do this, we will, by God's grace, be able to move from a place of wrestling with God, to wait on God, and then as we'll see next time, eventually to a place where we can even rejoice in God. And God is so gracious that he would do that in his lives. I pray that he will do that in your life. I pray that he will do it in my life. That you help us move to a place from wrestling with him to being able to wait on him and then to rejoice in him. Let me pray. Father, we're just thankful, thankful, so thankful for how you have spoken. You've made what you have to say clear and plain and that we have the confidence that you will do what you say. Help us to trust in your timing. Help us to trust in your ways. Help us to live faithfully and help us to fix our eyes in Jesus. 
the founder and perfecter of our faith. Help us to rest in his righteousness. And as we do that, Father, would you help us to live faithfully, even when what goes on around us is so difficult, even when what we experience is so hard. Um, would you help us to remain faithful and to trust in you, to remember that you are on your throne, that you are in control, and that we can trust our lives with you. Amen.